Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. This is your first time listening. Hey, welcome. Thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week, and show notes are found at 805connect.com. Please subscribe so you don't miss any shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner, Polstring Press, for this great studio. And Patrick, my co-host. Hey, Patrick. Ah, good morning, Mark. Good morning. How are you this morning? I've got a kink in my neck, but we'll pretend like it's not happening. Well, you know, Patrick, I have to give a shout out uh, before we get started. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but in the last couple of weeks, we have picked up listeners in Afghanistan. Of co- well, of course. Of course. This is very relevant topics for Afghanistan. Well, th- th- so I've been thinking about this. I've been trying to figure out, A, how did someone find us? So that's ca- interesting. I'm going to bet the internet. Oh, God, that's <laughs> it. That was the answer. Uh, I bet the internet. I, I'm thinking uh, military. Yes, that was my first. When you when you showed that statistic to me, that was my first thought. It was a contractor or somebody who's, who's working over there or one of our, our great military service individuals that we love. So if you are listening from Afghanistan, I have to talk to you. <laughs> Send me a note, mark at 805connect.com. And thank you for your service. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd like to, you, to introduce you to Jill Seltzer. Jill, how are you? I am fine. Thank you. And, and we just met in August uh, because you are the managing director of the Ensemble Theater at the New Vic, which was the uh, location for TEDx Santa Barbara. Which was as exciting for us, I think, as it was for you, possibly more. <laughs> now, how's that? Tell me that. Well, it was wonderful to have uh, your audience in that room, to have your um, production issues uh, carried out I think pretty well yeah very well in the new Vic and when I got to go in when you all were setting up that you had a boom in there with a camera that moved in a way that I thought how wonderful this this theater can handle that and I wish I had one of those (laughs) (laughs) well you know what I want to do next time I'm uh I've seen uh, you know the camera Patrick Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you watch sports ball at all the cable camera yeah the cable camera uh, suspended over the audience. Oh. It rolls back and yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So that's what I want to do. I saw a TEDx in an opera house, and all of the TEDx organizers share everything. We sh- it's very open source community. Yeah. And so someone was saying, hey, had anybody seen this? And I was like, oh, oh, oh. okay. <laughs> we'll be rolling that out. But that's if, odd. Odd TEDxers into technology. That's weird. I wouldn't have guessed that. I, you know, I don't. I think it's the T in TED. Oh, that. that oh, that's right. That's that makes right. Sense. That's yeah. exactly it. And, you know, it's about um, what we're doing on that day is we're. It's a television studio, and we have an audience, and there is a day of experience. But those talks live forever. And so if you go to TEDxSantaBarbara.com, not only can you see how beautiful the theater is. I mean, it's just spectacular for anybody who was here back in the day uh, that was a church and then it got turned into a theater kind of half turned into a theater and wait how now, did that happen i don't know the story yeah, that's of that. before my day but my understanding is that people who owned the theater were interested in performance and therefore yeah. modified it in such a way that it served their needs at the time yeah mm. but now it's it's it is the state-of-the-art theater in the area you, you could say that again <laughs> 
It is the catches. This would be your ringtone. Yeah. It's the state of the art theater in the area, in in everything that you want. Now, what's interesting for me as a, a producer of of TEDx, and we've done this was our fourth. We've done done them in non professional theaters. Yes. Right, and the difference was, I think everything contributed not only from uh, Richard, who was the, the He's not a stage manager. He's uh, like production manager. Production manager, and he was the one who helped us kind of put a lot of uh, rigor into the chaoticness of producing a TEDx because it's all volunteer, right? So when you look at the goal is a very professional, world class uh, look and feel at the end, all done by volunteers, and so he was kind of guided us through. Thing. I don't even know all the, the words, the new words I learned uh, during that. But enough about TEDx. Thank, again, thank you. But it was just so great. I mean, it was, it, was, it was a beautiful venue. And it sounds as though the partnership that you created with our staff, I mean, they felt they learned a lot from you. Uh, but you felt you learned a lot from them. Oh, well, very that's much the so. best. Right. That, and that's, w yes, absolutely. And in fact, what I didn't know is that you have a full set design shop out by the airport. And so our set design uh, done by Britt Jewett, who has done all of our sets. He does the film festival. He does a lot of stuff. He's an architect, but he loves doing set design. Um, I find that every architect I know has something else they love doing. You know, his, other, uh, like, his other superhero talent is doing um, uh, lanterns and lighting fixtures. See, yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, but and I digress again. It was fun to take this huge vision because we looked at that stage and went, it's very big. Yes. And how do we take this very large volume but create a very intimate feel so that the relationship between the speaker and the audience is very close? That's part of the whole idea, the red circle. Um, and the, the raked... Uh, audience where everybody you, th and the other thing we did which <laughs> threw tell, them tell us more Mark I'm going to tell, tell you more all. I'm sorry <laughs> was today on today on 805 this, Conversations yes. what does Mark really think about well the, the, the other challenge we threw was um, you know how the audience is always dark and you can't see the audience and you have those lights in your face well all the people on stage are not professionals they're not used to that Actors are used to that. They don't, it doesn't matter. It throws them. So what Ted learned a long time ago was light the audience in blue. Shows up great on video, but more importantly, it allows the speaker to see the audience and connect with the audience. And that's really what we're trying to do is create connections. So there's my end of that long thank you, and we're looking forward to coming <laughs> back. Good. Uh, we are too. I was, um, I was really thrilled in, in learning more about you um, tell us what, uh, I want to hear it in your words, um, just what got you to Santa Barbara? Yeah, it, I, I wonder if many people feel this way. I think my career makes um, sense looking back, <clears throat> but I didn't see it coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's my quote. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, so I, I began um, working in Chicago for foundations. Um, the very first foundation I worked for was something called the Webolt Foundation, which focused very much on community organizing. It was also structured in such a way that board members went out and actually visited the not-for-profits that were about to be 
funded. So um, once I had a chance to do that as a board member, I thought this would be an excellent job, helping, um, oh. helping oh. people with resources, hand those resources off to talented people. So, for, and I did spend a little time as a marketing director at the Auditorium Theater in Chicago, which was built um, in the early 1890s, wow. trying to prove to the rest of the world that Chicago had survived the Chicago fire. Mm -hmm. um, and Santa Barbara has a similar, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we sure. survived the earthquake yeah, we mentality. Yeah. Um, so, but in the course of my work at various foundations, often my responsibilities focused on funding the arts. I'm a music major. My in college, my piano professor thought I was probably a voice major, and my voice <laughs> professor thought I probably piano was my instrument. Um, so uh, that helped me care a great deal about it, but not necessarily pursue it professionally. So what I've learned over the course of my career in philanthropy, and then I did wage money for public radio in Chicago, WBEZ, mm. the um, that's the station that developed This American Life and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yeah, great heroes of ours. They, they are um, they're the best. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had the opportunity to work with the Screen Actors Guild Foundation, which allowed me to spend a lot of time with uh, performers and, and you know actors and active artists. So all of that combination, um, and I grew up on a Vandenberg Air Force Base, so there we are. What? So this, mm. this was uh, an opportunity to come closer to home. Although growing up in Lompoc, California, and Vandenberg Air Force Base, Santa Barbara was the Big Apple. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, as far as apples go. As yeah. far as apples go. So for those, we have listeners in 42, now 43 countries. Yes. Um, Santa Barbara is, if we picture California, it's got a crook in it, like an arm with an elbow. And right on that elbow is Point Conception, which is where Vandenberg Air Force Base is. Now, how is it you grew up there? A so military family? My father was in the Air Force, and when I was growing up, they needed to bring crews from inland Air Force bases to practice shooting missiles. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And the reason you could do that in Vandenberg is that you could shoot into polar orbit without going over land. Oh, so there it. were oftentimes we'd hear missiles going off, and during the Cuban Missile Crisis, it was confusing whether those were going coming going up or uh, coming wow. down. Right, sure. You, um, were on, you were on Vandenberg during the Cuban Missile Crisis? Yes. Wow. Tense times? Yeah, they, they, um, the base would go on to alert, and, and that would limit access. Um, and so then, but I was, I was a kid. You were just so a kid. Yeah. And uh, my parents were not alarmists. So we were aware, huh. um, but we were not terrified. And then how did you get from Lompoc to Chicago? Was it school? It, it was school and then marriage and living in Chicago and working there for a number of years. I love Chicago. Chicago's a fine city. It is, right? And yeah. the other opportunity because of, again, my grant-making work, getting to know the not-for-profit theater community in Chicago, which I think is a huge um, resource to me right now in understanding the not-for-profit and yet equity theater, which is exactly what Ensemble Theater Company is. I want to know more about that. So it's know. a yeah. professional theater, and it's we work under a contract that allows us to hire equity actors as well as non-equity actors. What's, what's an equity yeah, actor? Yeah. So a member of the union, equity oh, union. Oh, okay. All right. So you guys have a, a permission slip to, uh, to pull from... Uh, local talent as opposed to just people that have already already professionally been in shows 
That's correct. Okay. It's, it's a mixture. Yeah. But what's terrific about Ensemble, this is, a, this is now the beginning of its third season in the new Vic. Mm-hmm. And um, over, I mean, it was a major fundraising effort in Chicago. I mean, uh-huh. that happens uh-huh. down there. In Santa Barbara. And what I've discovered is there's such a sense of collaboration among the arts organizations in Santa Barbara. Very much so. And, and everyone seems to um, help each other out and not feel any kind of jealousy over the funding sources, which makes for a pretty vibrant community. My responsibilities, in addition to helping to manage the company, are also fundraising. Mm. And this last year, we ended up buying the theater. So the New Vic now belongs to the ensemble. Now, now there's a little bit of a loan out there, but never mind. (laughs) Sure, sure. Our name is on the document. Yeah. Right. So it's very exciting for Ensemble to That's have a secure landmark. home. Yeah. Plus, you would agree, the new Vic is a remarkable resource to Santa Barbara. Yeah, when you said the jealousy thing, uh, I would like, I think everybody's jealous of that theater. It's <laughs> yes. an incredible facility. Uh, you know, um, Mark, you were saying that the size of the stage caught your attention and yet the intimacy of the house. And I think that's one of the remarkable um, issues within that theater there's a significance and to its space and it's intimate and it, it's almost it's a conflict of terms it's surprising actually <laughs> i right? i'm speaking completely as a total novice here but i i always felt like the moment i stepped on that stage for a uh, we were doing i think we were having a, a cocktail mixer for the santa barbara young professionals and i thought wow um there's as much kind of consideration given to the stage and the space of the stage as to the room that where, where the seats are, meaning that there was this this balance. It felt very balanced in that it wasn't one or the other. Like hmm. it wasn't, you know, that that the, the seats weren't just like, well, let's just sell, let's just pack as many seats as we can get in there to sell as many tickets as we can, you know, and and at the cost of the stage. But instead, it felt very much like like the performers were going to have some room uh, to 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 do some good work yeah. versus you know. Jonathan Fox is the artistic director, and he's been here 10 years. They just mm. celebrated his 10 years. So that meant he spent a number of years producing theater at the Alacama, which sure. is a far uh, more modest space than the new Vic. Um, then they were looking at various places to try to create the theater that ultimately happened at the new Vic. So I think the audience and the board takes great confidence in the quality of the theater that Jonathan was able to produce in far more modest surroundings. Mm. And now, with the theater and its technical capabilities, um, it's, a whole, it's a whole new agenda that he can pursue. I want to talk about the technical <coughs> capability because <coughs> for me, coming in not knowing what you can and can't do, yeah. I'm just like, well, this is what I would like to do. And I would just look at Richard and he'd go, hmm. No one's ever asked that before. <laughs> I think he said that more more than once because we, we did some interesting things. And in fact, we did uh, something called projection mapping where you take your regular surfaces, you project an image onto it so that it appears that it's projected in its correct dimension, correct orientation, which as it turns out is frighteningly hard, which I had no idea. Um, But he, what was great is he said, is it okay if we leave the set up for a few days because we're going to do something like this, I think it was for Macbeth. For Macbeth, exactly. And um, we want to do some tests and thank you very much. You've kind of opened our eyes to what what could happen. So that was, and you know, we we also, we did another um, 
an innovation, an innovation in that one of our speakers wasn't on the stage. It was in Toronto, and we did a live remote, but we brought in Citrix, who partnered with us on that. And I think we used all the bandwidth in the house. We had your <laughs> technical guy up there and the booth. If you'd seen the booth when we were doing that, it was because we had multiple cameras going back and forth with Toronto and looking at this and that. And everything just went perfectly, <laughs> thankfully. Yes. Right. Yes. So so what are the um, I'm curious what's. You, I think you said this is the year of the theater. What is that you've well, named uh, this year? The, the year of the new Vic because right. of uh, now it is our theater. It's our responsibility, and it is such a resource to the community. Not only does it house ensemble theaters, five main stage productions every year, but it's mm. available to not-for-profit organizations at a, at a handsomely discounted cost. Yeah, exactly. And we're very interested in getting corporations in there because the very fact that they'll use the space helps to underwrite the other organizations that will use it as well. I want to, I, I, in dealing with a lot of different nonprofits and the boards that are involved in the nonprofits, um, and just the other day we were talking about uh, this struggle of getting a new generational buy-in. And uh, wh what's, the, what's the strategy for, for your programming to um, secure kind of that intellectual investment from, from a younger generation that, that doesn't have the affluency quite yet uh, to support financially? How, where, where are you finding places to bring them in? Okay. The, our, our board is very eager to expand yeah. um, its age range. Um, I think theater has this wonderful opportunity too because not only can we uh, produce the classics, but we can also support new playwrights. Mm. Mm, and uh. the younger playwrights help bring in a younger audience. We're also reestablishing our outreach programs so that, oh, um, that high school kids, for instance at Macbeth, we had two student matinees nice. that were produced during the school day. Um, and those are wonderful audiences that um, you're a little terrified. The energy in that room, you just wonder <clears throat> where it's going. <laughs> and uh, Turns out it goes into a pretty good place, do you think? It yeah. really does. Yeah. The, because of the projections right. that Jonathan used, particularly in the opening, hmm. and the soundscape Yep. that was designed yep. for this production, the opening scene just drew that crowd mm. in, and there were awes. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, there were also, the way Jonathan had staged it and set it, it was not in a particular location, nor was it in a particular time. Mm. But it was about war, sure. and it was about political intrigue, and there was a gun or two, mm. which the kids loved, by the way. Well, and because, because of the, the kind of like, tantalizing this? Well, I think there's some, because of all real. the games. Feels that, oh, yeah, first-person shooter games and all that. All Here's that. a game on, a gun on stage. Yeah. Mm. And, and the, um, so at the very end, there's, there was a big fight scene, um, and the first student audience was really loud, um, and the actors loved it. They, uh, it didn't take them off their task at all. Uh, it, it fueled them. Um, which I think is the sign of a professional actor, yeah. um, that whatever is going on in that room doesn't distract them from their task, but brings them to it. And that's exactly how that cast reacted mm -hmm. to um, a room full of people that um, they stuck with us. It was a long show, and they mm -hmm. stuck with us, and we want to do more of these. Yeah. That was probably the first professional show for 
the majority of that audience. We got um, letters from all of the kids. Oh. And some of the quotes are, for instance, one said, it was quite a wonderful production and there were no mistakes. <laughs> Good a budding for critic. A budding critic. <laughs> uh, there is so much inside of that. <laughs> like, how, how would that student have known? And, and, and what is their definition of a mistake? And that's fantastic. That's so exciting. Yeah. So uh, I know that the film festival has done Mike's field trip to the movies where they, you know, bus in 2,000 kids. So is this going to be a regular part of what you do? It needs to be connected, of course, <clears throat> to our productions that are appropriate to the high school age. So this uh, season, um, Macbeth was perfect. A sure. lot of the classes were studying it. Uh, chapter 2, Neil Simon, is our next play. We won't have a student matinee around that, and that mm. opens in... Uh, beginning of December. But in February, we're doing Porgy and Bess, and Jonathan oh, has gotten be great. permission to reorchestrate it for jazz, uh, probably for musicians. Hmm. So that's very exciting, and that's absolutely going to reach now, out to the kids. where do you put the music? Um, he's still figuring that out. <laughs> um, I, think it's, I think they're going to go on this stage. Yeah. Mm. I think that's going to be the solution. Uh, but it's interesting to me how many of those artistic decisions you go into the process thinking exactly this is how it's going to work, and then it is during the rehearsal process mm -hmm. that a lot of changes occur because of the practicality and, and also everyone's sensibilities. And um, it's, a, it's quite, I'm struck by how collaborative theater is and how right. not collaborative it ultimately is. I mean, so there's a lot of listening to everybody's opinions, but then somebody's got to make the a director. decision. Right. Mm -hmm. And I found that with um, TEDx. That again, you know, our improv training is be prepared but don't plan, even though we had a literally a minute by minute script because they cameras needed to know where cameras were going and all of that. Well, it wasn't improv, it was TEDx. This is true. <laughs> Yet what was interesting is during, again, to your exact point, during the rehearsal process, uh -huh. we learned, oh, oh, this would be better, this flow would be better, because we're looking at the same thing that a director is what's the emotional arc of what's happening during during this and how are we starting off the people like you did with the kids, start them up high, get them excited because you're gonna know you're gonna keep them there for a while. But one of the things that happened and to the collaborative piece was we had um, this woman named Nusa who's a visual scribe. So what she does is when someone's talking, she draws the talk in real time. She's normally just off stage right and I didn't want to, because so she can see and feel the vibe and do the whole thing and draw. And I thought that would be distracting to the audience to have that, though there was a perfect spot for it. I said, that'll be distracting. So I'm like, where am I going to put her? Where am I going to put her? And then working with Richard, I said, what I'd really like to do is put her up on the catwalk. But I know that there's weird stuff about, you know, liability and, and safety and all that. And he was just, you know what? Why don't, and he was, very, let's figure this out and make this awesome, yeah. which we did. We put her on the back catwalk and we framed it so that the camera could cut up to her to be able to show her working. And so it became, she became part of it. But again, it's that collaborative piece that I hadn't expected. Yeah. And it was like, he said, we want this to be as, we want your show to be great. And you didn't, I didn't really uh, expect that. It was awesome. Yeah. Where are you going and what you've got this building? 
this is my I, this is the one this is one of the questions that's like on my list that I get to ask. You've got um you've got the building, you've got the the creative team. What more could you want in in life? Like what what more is what what more are you guys seeking uh, to to create programming? Like what what are you looking for? I think that we now are in a position to significantly expand our audience in sheer numbers mm. um, uh. because of the capacity of that of that space, which mm -hmm. is probably triple live a la comma. Mm -hmm. um, it's just under 300 seat house. Mm. And um, that's amazing to me. It doesn't feel like 300. Like, no. like that's we can return to this all the time. It yeah. feels so small in there. So yeah. tight and, and uh, cozy. Yeah, in a way, I, I, I'm sorry to have missed all of those conversations about the design mm. process for that space. Um, because of ultimately this dichotomy of what's been created, intimacy and at the same time stature. Mm -hmm. um, and a younger audience, uh, much more outreach, and uh, have making sure that the community what's, knows what a resource both Ensemble Theatre Company is and the new Vic is. Mm -hmm. So in a way, you're, I, I feel like I've joined this organization at a, at a really critical moment mm -hmm. um, when the door is wide open and um, whatever we can, we can bring to it um, is going to be terrific. How does, other than... How does a corporation see this as a resource? How do they use it as a resource? Because well, I'm not exactly sure how that plays out. So there are uh, corporate meetings that, you know, not unlike what you all brought to that, you know, a, a sit-down audience, presentational going on. We also have that courtyard. Right, right. And Great for breaks. Yeah. yeah. And what I'm beginning to understand is I'm, as I'm just trying to get to know uh, Santa Barbara's corporate community, a lot of companies have located in Santa Barbara for life issues, mm -hmm. not just job issues. Mm -hmm. and Most, mostly. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's the strategy. Take them to lunch at the Biltmore, and then they go, oh, let's just move our company here. Thank you. So I think we're an important part of what a well-rounded community offers. There's terrific music in town. There's wonderful dance. There's the movies. And there's legitimate professional theater. So a corporation can buy out an entire performance, have oh, its yeah. have oh. its employees get to see each other in that courtyard I've in a social setting. Of that. Is, does that already happening that's, or that's what you're working that's on? That's what I'm working on. Yeah. And because wow. my understanding is so many, you know, there isn't the time to socialize on the job. Mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. that opportunity to share an artistic event and talk about things other than what you talk about all day long with each other is uh, can be of great value. And I just huh. just just imagining that that um, uh, I don't want to say water cooler talk, but like that's okay. Yeah, but I mean you're you're setting up a a, a, a kind of a joint experience, a very live one, and I think in the same way that the the high school students uh, had kind of revelations. I mean, imagine all of Sonos coming down. And then for the next six months, talking about, do you re were you there? Yeah, do you right, remember when, right. when we went to the new Vic? And you know, like I, as a as a as a perk, uh, as an employee, I would hugely drawn to that. that, that I've I've, is is that something that other theaters do? And you brought that idea here, or is that you just looked at the community and said, huh, why aren't we doing that? They, uh, the facility got me to think in these terms. Um, talking with a number of our board members who are very eager to help us promote all of this with corporations in Santa Barbara and yes some behavior in Chicago that I've known about in the past. I've I've um, I've seen um, this done with sport, sports events 
where you might maintain season tickets, you know, behind home plate. And then those are part of, of, of the currency that you can right. pass out as a, as a corporation. You know, that idea. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That would make that's obvious. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I've thought about it in the sense that we are always training TEDx speakers for one TEDx or another. Um, and we thought, and I got a hold of Richard and I said, could we rent the theater just for like during the day, a couple of hours, even if you're in production? Please tell, tell me he said yes. He said yes. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Because what we do is we have the red circle that we fits in a car. And we take it wherever we go, and we just roll that out and put the speaker on it. Yeah. And because that, there's, it's funny though. They'll say, "Is this the red dot? I mean, is this the one?" <laughs> oh yeah, this is the actual one. It travels around. It's it like does. the Stanley Cup. Yeah, there's only oh, one. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> it's signed on the back by Bill Gates. All these speakers. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, it it makes it very real for them. So. So yes, we're going to be doing that. That's so terrific. thank you. We're we're excited about that. I want to know, Jill. What 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 plays did you grow up going and seeing that you uh, love that you wish could get launched mm. at, the, at the... Oh, that's interesting. Um, again, back... Now I'm, I'm not going to go quite as far back as you just asked me to go. Um, but when, again, when I was in Chicago and working for foundations, funding the various not-for-profit theaters, um, it was a wide range of both new projections, new... Um, that's what Chicago's good at. I guess this fall... There are 30 world premieres being what? produced in Chicago among the not-for-profit theater oh, companies. Um, one of my um, most shameful stories. Please. Um, is that's what we're here for. Good. I was hoping I'd get to <laughs> Tell us all. Um, get this all no out one's on, the, listening. on the table. <laughs> <laughs> no one's no. listening? No. It's not being recorded. Then let me carry on. This is all <laughs> an act. Yes. So my children, actually, those are the people you should talk to who had right. to go to theater all the time. And my seven-year-old daughter went with me down to court theater at University of Chicago to see King Lear. Uh, yeah. And on the way home, the one comment from the back of the car was, Mommy, no more where they poke out the eyes, okay? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think there are age issues yeah, perhaps, sure, to yeah, address yeah, yeah, um, no, that I hadn't really thought hard about. Hard to see that in advance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the, the range of theater, and, and, I, and I'm struck by um, just the range of this season, Macbeth to... Chapter Two, Neil Simon to Porgy and Bess. Then Tennessee Williams wrote a movie yeah. called Baby Doll. There you go. Now it's going to become a play, and we'll be mm. producing that in the spring. And then something called Syncopation, which is by a brand new playwright. So oh, I, I think uh, Jonathan has created a microcosm of the range of what theater can be. And, and this is all back to your question earlier about how to expand your audience mm. and how to make sure that you're attracting a wider age range mm. than so many of the of the typical cultural organizations uh, attract and that's and that's our that's our hook mm. mm -hmm. are the actors all local no um, they audition um, Los Angeles now increasingly and I learned this particularly when I was working at the Screen Actors Guild Foundation a lot of the audition process is self-produced video mm -hmm. auditions. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that that's part of what reaches Jonathan, so that there are um, actors on the East Coast that are able to audition, and of course local actors as well. I've edited quite a few of those. They're, they're oh, really have you? Fun. Yeah, yeah. The, just the instructions on how to light your living yes. room are yes. interesting, yes. aren't they? Yes. I would like to see that, because we do, we have um, hundreds of people want to get on the TEDx stage. Yeah. And we asked them to do a two-minute video. Yeah. The more light, the better. 
Is that it? Just but location as well. Mm-hmm. Do you agree, Patrick? Oh, Some, yeah, for sure. Yeah, behind you. And um, the Screen Actors Guild Foundation, I can't believe I'm talking about my previous yeah, employment. You're doing fine. You're oh, okay. <laughs> um, but you can go to their website, and there are, there are some of the sessions that say, here's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. Step one, step two. Oh, I love that. It, it, I want to talk about the fundraising part. Right. It's no money, no mission. Right. And that's. I'm sorry. No money, no, no mission. She no just, money. She just buzzword no bingo to you. I know she did. Isn't she? <laughs> Does a duck come? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No money, no mission. If I don't have the money, I can't fulfill the mission. Right. You have oh, a mission. Oh, that's what you're saying. Right. Yeah. You have a mission. Yeah. And no money, no mission. And you're out there fundraising. And <clears throat> and that's, uh, you know, all of us in one way or another, whether it's profit or not profit, we've, we're selling something all the time. Right. What is, and in this region, it's very, very challenging. I mean, there's 1,800 registered nonprofits, but there's, I think, 3,500 when you look at the ones that just aren't quite on the radar. Mm -hmm. So everybody's got their hand out out there looking for funding. Mm -hmm. It's very challenging. Now let's talk to our listener who might be on the board of a nonprofit. They might be trying to help a nonprofit. They might be asked by a nonprofit. So they're, they're in that world. I know they are. Um, do you have maybe three tips that you've learned that you're, if you were teaching someone coming up through the ranks on how to go be amazing at this? Because I mean, you're, you look at your CV, the things you've done, it's pretty, very impressive. What are, the, what are your three tips? You know, I think the, the um, most compelling and sustainable surviving lesson I learned was working with the Prince Charitable Trust, and that's the family that owned the stockyards in Chicago for years. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Wood Prince, a charming gentleman, I I got to know him um, when his primary interest was the foundation. He had taken over um, the stockyards um, in the middle of World War II. Mm -hmm. Um, He got adopted. This is my favorite story. He was on a small island in the South Pacific, and it was um, Frederick Henry Prince who understood that he had, he had two sons, one who had died in, in the um, Lafayette Escadrilles going into World War I, and another son who decided to spend the rest of his life in Europe. So he needed somebody to run the stockyards. So he went, he sent him, nobody better ever fix this story because this is how I wanted to have been. Yeah, this is, no, this, we this don't is factual. It. This, okay. is, this is clearly factual. Okay, what I understand is that a plane full of lawyers showed up on this island in the South Pacific and said, Billy Wood, who's probably 30, um, Frederick Henry Prince would like to adopt you so that <sighs> that will secure your position within the family and within the um, sequence of authority for the stockyards going forward. And so um, he said, yeah, I don't mind. Was he an employee of the of the company at that he, point, or was he a... He was um, an employee of the company, but serving in World War II. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. So when he came back, he then went and visited all of the stockyards, which somebody hadn't done in years. He figured out the dial soap in Phoenix was the tail wagging the dog, and ultimately grew the company... Um, to a position of, of much more significance than it had been. So my guess is that his official career, this is a long story, Mark. He's a good going. I've got plenty of tape. Oh, okay. So um, he had um, created this remarkable uh, business but cared a lot about the philanthropy. And what I learned from Mr. Wood Prince is that what really mattered to him 
was the legacy that he was able to leave to mm. the city of Chicago. He brought the mosaic, the Chicago mosaic to the open. I just saw a photo of that yesterday. Yeah, it's a remarkable piece. Yeah. That, um, and uh, he had uh, taken Chagall to dinner and pulled out a, his wife's lipstick and, and what Chagall wrote on the tablecloth is hanging in someone's house somewhere oh. still. Mm. So, so what I learned was that my job as a program officer at his foundation was to bring him issues, first of all, that I knew he cared about, but also educate him to issues he didn't even know to care about. And the, the wonderful balance was that Mr. Woodprince um, was very supportive of professional behavior mm -hmm. and was willing to listen. Um, and there were some times you knew, yeah, don't take this, he's not going to like this. My favorite time in that room was there was an organization called Parental Stress that was seeking a $5,000 grant. He said, give him the money. Yeah, that's a small That's name. all I, I – Just heard the name. The yeah. <laughs> Parental Stress. They got it based I'm on in. the name. I'm yeah, in. That's amazing. So all of this is to say when you are raising money, there, there are two things to figure out. First of all, remind yourself you're doing someone a great favor in bringing them causes that they care about huh. and turning oh. their money into something that matters to them. That's huh. so good. And getting their money into the hands of talented people. Yes. And second, but the, but the underlying piece is, you gotta bring them stuff they care about. They're, you can't go and say, I need your money. That's not gonna be very compelling. But if there's the, and you need to do the kind of, uh, get the insight that you need to say, Theater, outreach for kids. Um, Be able to tell the story from the, the right place. Uh, right. And make sure because it's it's what you said just a minute ago. It's such – it's a two-way street. There, mm -hmm. there are benefits on both sides of any valuable relationships. Mm -hmm. And so that the donor takes pride in what they've supported and the organization benefits so from the financial support. And mm -hmm. it also makes you never um, – you, you hold your head up to high. You're bringing them things that matter to them. You're not. You're not begging. There's no begging for charity. You're you're providing them an opportunity. Wow. I I, I love that you're turning their money into something that matters. Yeah. There's another quote for us, right? Oh, good. That's right? great. Yeah, yeah. You're right. That's two. We're at that's two. two. No, I love that that idea that 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 your money sitting in that bank right now doesn't matter to anyone but you. Yeah. Your money, you know, funding the ensemble theater. That's matters to everyone. That's right. Wow. That's right. That's me practicing my pitch. <laughs> that's, that's, me that's me trying to get a board member to come on board. Right. Uh, yes. I, I need some new board members. Let's <laughs> what, it, what is it? What makes a good board member? Um, starting there, that it's a legitimate interest in what the organization promotes and, and its mission. Um, there's, a, there's a collaborative um, camaraderie um, my favorite boards are ones that they care so much about each other mm. that there really is a social interaction um, amongst the board members and that the board members understand the professionalism of the staff that they've hired. So, so um, I, will, I will never forget, again, Prince Charitable Trusts going back to Rhode Island because there was a lot of funding done there because family members lived there. And... 
we never forgot we were the hired help. We never forgot. Mm. They but, didn't let you forget or you, that was no, something you... We hung on to that because we were staying in their homes and we were attending oh, their family wow. parties. Wow. And so the community wondered, who are these? I was working with another woman who was the other program officer and they, who are these two people? They dress fine, but you know, who are they? So, so from, from our point of view is there really is, we're not peers. We work for the board. And we work at the at the um, discretion of the board. However, when it's a healthy relationship, the board has hired staff to promote what it is that they care about, and there's a mutual respect sure. that happens at a professional level. Mm. And um, and so those those are the boards that are just such a pleasure to work at. That they the board members are there on behalf of a cause they care about. Um, a, an unintended consequence could be a heightened position for them in the community. Right. That could be. But if that's their motivation to be on the board, then mm. you've got a really complicated situation that you as a professional staff member will never solve. What do you – when? yeah, because you're kind of maybe Dan, uh, circling around uh, a board member that's that's problematic or perhaps comes in and, 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 and does some damage. What's What's the – how do you kind of avoid that or deal with that once you've arrived and you have these board members that are like who don't have the best interest of the programming? What has always been the saving grace is strong leadership on the board mm. because it's a peer-to-peer. So strength, strength in somebody you do want to see. Right. And and that the leadership of the board yeah. is, is, is knowledgeable and wants to tackle mm-hmm. it. And we are... Very fortunate in here in right, Ensemble. What's the right size board? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there is a lot of care and feeding to a board. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I've been on both sides, all three sides of that. <laughs> How big is your kennel? <laughs> How many? <laughs> <laughs> How many? Yeah. Uh, so the question is, how can you keep them engaged and still get your job mm. done? And and the way to do that is to make sure that most of the engagement is on behalf of, in this case, the Ensemble Theater Company. We have a board that's that's right around, it's, it's between 20, 25. It's a lovely size mm. for the board. Mm. Um, I've also worked at a foundation where there were just seven board members that's even lovelier. Is it is it good that um, small, like a Gilligan's no, Island? No, I think for a fundraising <laughs> board, that's way too small. And yeah. of course, that was an endowed situation, so you those people did lot. not have. But I do think it is important that um, board members understand their fiduciary responsibility, that they're willing to help with the fundraising. Often, that's just helping to make a cold call not a cold call mm. for a staff person, right. and that there are some board members who have a particular expertise and that they are able to share of their talent, possibly at a higher level than they are able to share of their pocketbook. Hmm. And as long as all the board members respect that about each other, that works very well. Um, I've never worked at an organization with 50 or 60 um, board members, and so that is an animal I do not understand. And um, and that's got to be both wonderful and awe-inspiring at times to just just to make the connection so legitimate well back to it being very social yeah i was taught uh, by a mentor in a board situation years ago about the four w's when you're looking for a board member it's wealth wit wisdom and work pick three because <laughs> you're so, not going to get all four you're not going to uh, get all four so 
to, to the point of the, the work or the wisdom, like they've been there, done that, they can offer some technical expertise. Mm-hmm. They may not have the wealth, yeah. right? Where they may not have the connection to the network, but they can help you in so many other ways. Yeah. What, you know, the person who's listening right now, I'm thinking that I know personally I benefited by being on boards, a, a lot of boards when I had my software company. And you met so many people. I met a guy who went and volunteered to be on, he moved into town, wanted to get connected, and went on 100 boards. That seems like too many. But he ended up meeting everybody. And he mm. over, it was over a five-year period, I'm oh, sorry. Wow. It was over a five-year period, sat on 100 boards, and knew everybody in town. Now, that was a, a strategy, right? And it wasn't about being having significance or prominence in the town. It was just, I need to know all the people to do the things that I want to do, which he, which he wanted to do. So what's your um, uh, advice for a, maybe a young business owner, someone who's listening, they're a startup, they're, they're, all they can think of is their business right now, how to get out of their head a little bit and think about some community service and go volunteer to be on a board. How would, like if someone just called you mm-hmm. and said, I'd like to be on your board, how's that conversation go? The, first you, of all- You might get some calls. That's, that'd be great. <laughs> um, and, and we have some wonderful board members who are looking after exactly this issue, how to bring on new board members. So, so what I would want to do is encourage them to come meet some of our board but members. let's say if they're in uh, Finland. We have listeners in Finland who, who might have thought, gosh, I- I, they, do, they don't see themselves as that person. And why is being volunteering to be on a board good for a well-rounded kind of professional experience? I would, That's the question. Okay. And are you suggesting people be on a board remotely? No, no. no I no, think no, he's no. just okay. changing his question halfway I'm, through. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, clearly you yeah. understand him. Yeah, no, yes. I can translate yeah, I'm for sorry, you if you thank like. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think as long as the cause of the organization is a legitimate cause – that that person cares about, in addition to the interest in getting to know the community. It's a great way to learn about a community, the not-for-profit part of any community, because it's such a demonstration of what matters to the community, where those organizations are vibrant, and whether there's there's multiple organizations trying to tackle the same problem and figuring out Mm. where the talent is and the strength is. So I'd want to start from a position of this is an issue I really care about. Uh, Mm. Mm -hmm. Children. uh, Such good advice. Homeless. Mm. You've got to be there for legitimate reasons for yourself. Not just not just to be social. It yeah. has to be. You have to care about the cause. Because it, because if it is a purely social connection, it won't last. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So it's about the issue. It's about it's, the issue. And, and there's this, this giving back. Even though people think I'm not going to give back till later in my life, mm-hmm. uh, I would argue, and I'm hoping to argue here that a young person goes and finds that thing where it's some percent of their time, Mm -hmm. small, where they give back. That's right. And usually the financial contributions, uh, there are annual expectations because if a board member particularly is willing to go out and help uh, get funds for the organization, they have to be supporters of it. You can't ask other people for money if you haven't also given money of your own. But it can be at a level of, for so many organizations that's quite, quite affordable for people um, 
who, you know, you don't have to have thousands of dollars annually to be involved in a lot of not-for-profits. Well, with 1,800 in our area, like yeah, you're talking about range. this. Yeah, the range is, you know, you can, you can get in on a very low level, I'm yeah. sure. It would be useful, however, to get to know the organization and its programming well before mm. seeking board participation, because you'd, you'd want to have that conversation with them with some knowledge of what it is they do and and what that issue is like within the Santa Barbara community. So maybe you go volunteer exactly at an event. Uh, when my daughter was in high school, she and her best friend came to me and said, we would like to volunteer for an organization. How, how do we do that? And we figured that out. And then she and her best friend every month picked a different organization to volunteer for all through high school until they found the ones that they really liked and then they would go back to them. Because they just thought part of being more well-rounded and understand, and there's, you know, there's enough opportunities and there's a real need for volunteers as well. Yeah, yeah? and the schools encourage that, is that correct? Well, it's or? actually required. Now. Yeah, that's there mandatory. We are. Jill, I wanna know, this is as we're, as we're getting near uh, our time, what, um, what's the best part of your, your mm. job, your mm. day, your, like what do you, what do you cherish uh, but what keeps you just every day going back? I'm working with a staff that is um, working for a not-for-profit organization, um, which means that the pay scale is <laughs> modest. Not-for-profit all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> so they are there because of the passion they feel for the issue and the way they're spending their um, careers. Um, so for me... It is a combination of working with a dedicated staff that their, their psychic reward occasionally outpaces their financial one, and a board that wants to raise issues exactly like that, the monetary um, reimbursement for the people that they value so much and they think are the reason this theater is as good as it is. So it's the people involvement. It's the staff, it's the board, it's reaching out to the greater community and helping to position. I mean, I, I, I feel so grateful. I'm, there's nothing's about correction mode in my job. Mm. It's all about working from a position of strength and expanding. Mm, mm, mm. Wow, I love that. That's a perfect place to cap this. Our time has gone just like that. And one of the things we get to do at the very end of the show is, is put a bow around it and give it a name. Because now with our catalog of, of Several thousand, thousands of episodes. At least <laughs> thousands of words. Okay, can we work something in? Yeah. Well, let's do that. Okay. okay. So did you know that up in the control booth in a theater, the stage manager is, has queued up the next cue? And then, so the stage manager will say, Q79, and then when it's time to hit it, the line yeah. is, take that go. Take that go. That's, well, that's, some, that's some inside that baseball there. Take that go. Take that go. So she'll say, go, 79, go. Take that go. And then you push that button. And because it's like ready, ready, set, go. Yeah. That's what it is like. Yeah. 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 I hadn't thought of that. Well, it's just that, just that you can't just say go. Yeah. You have to get them ready. Yeah. Then you have to 
Wow, that's fantastic. Take that go. So that's what Ensemble's doing. That would be a great t-shirt. I'm, I'm the t-shirt guy oh, here. I'm just yes. like, that, should, that would make a great t-shirt. You know what we're going to have to do? We have to do a t-shirt shop because you, yeah. you're always coming up with great t-shirts. I just, I just, I hear them isolated in the language because mm-hmm. probably because I edit the show. And so I see, I see the little vibrations yes. of lines and I see them yeah. kind of like bunch yeah. up into nice little take that go is a perfect. Nicely the done. trending t-shirt this morning, by the way. Yeah. Yes. Bad ombre. Oh really? Oh, yes. yesterday. <laughs> yes, nasty but, woman. I think was that's yesterday. the other one. Those <laughs> yeah. two. Those are. Yeah. I saw ads for those T-shirts yesterday. Yeah. So we'll get this T-shirt up. Shell, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, it's really fun thank learning you. more about you and and all of the experiences you've had. And now you're gonna put your imprint on the theater and help it be. This is gonna gonna be around forever. Yeah, that's which right. Which is fantastic. That's right. right. I can't wait. The theater and that building. And we're so glad you'll be back there. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, we're working that out. Great. Thank you so much. Also, um, I want to thank our sponsors, California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services, and our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press. I just, I love having our conversations here. If you're interested in partnering with our podcast, send us a note to partner at 805connect.com. Patrick, how this person who just came in yeah. because they heard Jill was on the show, mm-hmm. they've never heard us before. Hey, it turns out we've got lots more shows. Yeah. Uh, we've got over 100 in our back catalog. Uh, go back through. There are plenty of them that have a, very, a lot of similarities to this conversation uh, and lots of uh, uh, you know things that are, are worth listening to. Uh, so, yeah, do that. But also a rate, write, review. Let us know uh, what's working, what's not working. Email Mark with any of your uh, ideas, especially if you're a service member uh, in Afghanistan. Um, and I o- want to hear from that person. And the other thing that I want to point out is is when I was 10 years old, Aline Woodage, my neighbor, Aline, my great, great uh, uh, patron, Aline Woodage, uh, sent me to the theater. And I think <sighs> that if you're out there, uh, I don't, you've got a neighbor, you've got a neighbor kid, they've not been to the theater. <sighs> Buy them some tickets. Send them to the theater. Go with them. Uh, you could probably use use a little bit of culture yourself, but, but but mostly know how important that was over thirty years ago, and uh, and it sticks with me every day. So. I love that. That that's absolutely perfect. And call your mom, yeah. right? Got to want to call your mom. I'd love to hear from you if you've got questions about the show or you've got an idea for a guest. Drop me a note, Mark at eight hundred five connect dot com. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.